Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of La Liga Lowdown, it's our match day 24 recap, hosted by me, you McTeer, and rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. The cold is going away, it's starting to smell like spring, and the Champions League music will be hitting our ears this week. So that means it's the business end of the season. It's pretty much here, making this a really interesting round to recap. We'll be going through all the main storylines, we'll be hearing about the battle between second and third between Barcelona and Hitafe, about the blockbuster Friday night fixture between Valencia and Atletico Madrid, that's later in part one. There'll be focus on the relegation battle in part two, and we'll be hearing from our Sevilla expert. Hi, I'm Gregor Chappelle at the Estadio Sanchez Pizjuan, and in part two of this podcast, I'll be summing up Sevilla's 2 each draw at home with Espanyol. There's all that and more, but we start with Real Madrid against Celta Vigo. I was there at the Bernabeu on Sunday night for a game that was a lot more interesting than some expected. This was a title challenger against a relegation threatened side, but it finished as a 2-2 draw. Celta Vigo's January signing from Russia, Fedor Smolov, put them ahead early on. Real Madrid did turn it around with a Tony Cruz goal, his sixth in his career against Celta Vigo, which is amazing because he hasn't scored more than three goals against any other club. They went ahead then with a Sergio Ramos penalty which was won by Eden Hazard back after 81 days out with injury but at the very end Celta Vigo stunned Real Madrid again as Santi Mina took advantage of a wonderful Denis Suarez pass so it finished 2-2 meaning Real Madrid actually have a worse home record this season than their away record. It's a 65% winning percentage on the road and a 57% winning percentage at the Bernabeu. That's pretty weird. The return of Hazard was one of the main talking points from this game. I thought he was good. Now let's hear what he thought in this post-match interview with Movistar. Good, good. First first 10 minutes, I was a bit tired, but uh, like I said to the manager, after when you're on the, on the pitch, you get more times to, to be ready. So I was OK, I was OK. At the end, I was, of course, after 70 minutes for the first game, he's, uh, he's OK, but uh, yeah, just... <laughs> Happy with my performance, just not so happy with the, the draw. So Real Madrid's point means that they remain top of the table. However, their lead over Barcelona is down from three points to one. Barcelona had a tough fixture this weekend as well as they had to take on informed Hitafi. And we speak to our Barcelona expert Roman de Arcair now. It finished 2-1 to Barcelona thanks to a couple of goals in quick succession from Antoine Griezmann and Sergio Roberto. But it got very nervous for Barcelona fans at the end, didn't it Roman? When you play a team such as Getafe, I mean, that's just what uh, usually ends up happening, you know. And we're talking about a Barca who's kind of in transition with a new manager. Still hasn't really won any La Liga games by more than one goal since Kike Setien came on. So uh, this time it was one of the toughest games they've had. Um, And Getafe, we know how well they've been doing. We talked about them in our pod uh, 
And I mean, they're they're being spectacular this season. And once again, they proved why they are at such a high level. And Barca were quite comfortable in the first um, half, especially the second part of the first half. Then in the second half, Getafe came back on with full force, uh, pressed really high, put Barca in a lot of problems. And honestly, uh, that second goal could have come any moment. So Barca was really, really uh, beginning to struggle at the end. And, and a few more minutes and you never know what could have happened there. Yeah, it could have been a draw. Would it have been deserved if Getafe had secured the draw? If Getafe had scored that second goal, I mean, nobody would have disagreed with that statement because Getafe in the end had a very complete game uh, at the Camp Nou. But in my opinion, I do think Barca were slightly the better side, the deserving side, I'd say, uh, mainly because they had the better chances. Uh, I mean, Griezmann, for example, scored a goal, but then he had two very, very good opportunities, which I think should have uh, ended in goal. And then Messi also had a couple of really good chances, but he's, unfortunately he's going through that very unexpected drought from the players such as Messi. But Getafe, of course, also had some good opportunities. And if they would have scored, well, as I said... Uh, it would have been perfectly understandable because they had a very uh, good performance too. So a draw could have been fair, yeah. One of the interesting things that Taffy did was to really man-mark when Barcelona had a goal kick or a free kick that was deep. How did this work and what did Barcelona and Ter Stegen do to combat this? I mean, Bordelas is aware that if Barcelona has space, has time, uh, can move the ball calmly, uh, play- his players are going to end up chasing uh, the ball, running behind the players and... It's going to be a waste of energy, so I guess his idea was to be on top of them, to stop that from happening, to force them to react much quicker, which at the same time would cause more mistakes. And I especially saw that in the second half, after Getafe scored their first goal, that uh, they could feel that they had the opportunity of getting that extra point, and they were like pushing harder than ever. And Barca was really struggling to bring the ball out from the back. Piqué, Umtiti, uh, Ter Stegen himself, they were all making like silly mistakes or not, or not finding those uh, pass lanes. And, and Ter Stegen, who likes to often wait till the last minute, uh, till the attacker comes and pressures him, and then he always finds uh, his pass. This time he was being forced to give longer passes up high and he usually does that well because he can play with his feet really well but he was making some mistakes there and Barca was losing the ball easily and that really caused a lot of trouble for Barcelona so it worked quite well but unfortunately didn't allow them to get that extra goal they needed. We had the Kiki Setien versus Jose Bordelas rivalry in this game and they didn't shake hands before or after the match. What was going on there? The rivalry between these two managers goes way, way back uh, to 2013 when they uh, both were coaching in Segunda División. Bordalás was in charge of Alcorcón and Quique Setién was uh, coaching at Lugo. And they played a home and away game, of course. And in the second leg, um, Alcorcón won for the second time. And after that match, uh, Quique Setién was a bit harsh in the press conference when he talked about Bordalás' team saying that he didn't like the way they played at all, uh, very poor football, and he, he actually said that he hoped that they wouldn't go up uh, to first division. So it wasn't really nice what he said towards the team. Then again in 2017, they met again, uh, Kike and Betis and of course Bordelasa Getafe. They drew 2-2, but Setien was very critical once again, saying that uh, Getafe didn't let any continuation in the play. They were all of the town fouling, fouling, fouling. And it was very unpleasant, I guess, to play against Getafe. Of course, Kike Setien maybe didn't have to, to say any of this, but from 
from those uh, statements back then, it's just been growing until now. Although in the last press conference, uh, Bordalas said he wasn't going to get into any of this uh, nonsense. And Kike Setien actually praised Bordalas uh, previously to the game being played and said some positive things. So I guess it's just, there's just still that tension, of course, they're not going to talk to each other because the relation is completely broken. But I don't think it's going to go to any, any further intensity. Thanks, Roman. So that was a blockbuster match between Barcelona and Tatafi, second against third. But we also had fourth against seventh as Atletico Madrid went away to Valencia for Valentine's Day date. That one did finish 2-2 and it was a crazy and fun game. Let's bring in our man in Valencia, Paco Pollitt, to discuss this one. Paco, was 2-2 a fair result in the end? If you check out the last half hour, many would believe Valencia achieved enough merits to win the game. In a scenario where both teams looked a bit wary of giving their 100% due to the upcoming Champions League games, the home team were slightly above in the second half, even if both sides had huge chances to finally win the game. I don't really think both managers were that happy with the fact that the attackers were better than the defenders overall, but as a bottom line, yes, I think the draw was more or less a fair result. Both of Valencia's equalisers came from set-pieces. What's happened to Atletico Madrid? They used to be so good at defending set-pieces. You know, when a set-piece actually works, you have to look at both ends. Yes, the defending might not be the best, but the execution is usually involved to some extent. And both set-pieces were executed flawlessly in Valencia's case, using Dani Parejo's masterful right foot to cross the ball in the first one to Maxi Gomez, and later with a cross full of danger which Condogbia was able to tap in. So I would like to give a shout-out to Valencia's proficiency taking advantage of those tools to bring down Atleti's defense, one of the best in Europe and in Atleti's case they will have to improve quite a lot in their Champions League double fixture against Liverpool who usually are big fans of set pieces. You can ask Barca about that one. You sure can. So another key duel in this game was Ferran Torres against Renan Lodi. Just how much did Ferran destroy Lodi? Okay, Ferran's second half is Spain national team material. Period. There's nothing really more to add. You might remember I said last season here in La Liga Lodon that I hadn't seen a prospect this good in the wing for Valencia since Vicente Rodriguez back in 2004. I stand by my words and I would like to add that it would be a travesty if Ferran isn't called by Luis Enrique in the March games against Germany and the Netherlands. Lodi had nightmares with him, later Saul was called in to help in the left-back and he wasn't able to stop him either. It was an impeccable display of quality by Valencia's youngster, remember, he's only 20, so plenty of room for further improvement in Ferran's case. You already mentioned the upcoming Champions League fixtures with Atletico facing Liverpool on Tuesday and Valencia taking on Atalanta on Wednesday. What do you think about both of these teams' chances? Obviously, Valencia have better chances because they are facing Atalanta and not the current European champions. But again, Atleti have shown in the past they are the most resilient when facing impossible odds. I am a bit cautious regarding Valencia because Atalanta are relatively unknown for many fans, but in my view are very, very good. Very compact, solid, quick transitions and especially tricky to defend in their attacking front. They seem an Italian version, by the way, of last season's Valencia, so that round is going to be a very tight one. In Atleti's case, I think it's pretty obvious to say they are not the favourite. They have to be perfect and pray that Liverpool don't have a good game twice in three weeks. 
We'll certainly be watching on closely to see how both of those Spanish teams get on. There was another interesting match in the Valencian community this weekend as Villarreal welcomed regional rivals Levante to the Estadio La Ceramica. It was strange because Villarreal went ahead through Gerard Moreno against the run of play and then Levante equalised through Borja Mayoral also against the run of play when Villarreal were looking their strongest but Villarreal prevailed in the end with the half-time substitution of Vicente Borra for Andre Frank, Zambo and Guisa proving to be an inspired one. He made the difference and played a key role on Moy Gomez's winner, making it a 2-1 win for Villarreal. There's plenty more fixtures to discuss and plenty more storylines for us to delve into. We'll do that in part two after this short break. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello and welcome back to this La Liga Lowdown podcast. We've already discussed the title race and we've heard about some of the teams who are jostling for position in the Champions League race. With Hitafi, Valencia and Atletico all failing to win over the first few fixtures of the weekend, that presented an interesting opportunity to Sevilla as they took on bottom-placed Espanyol at home on Sunday lunchtime. Yet they couldn't get the win. They could only manage a 2-2 draw. Here's our man in Seville, Gregor Chappelle, to explain more in his full-time report recorded and sent in from the Sanchez Peace One in the moment after the game. Uh, Gregor Chappelle here at the Sanchez Peace One where we've seen Espanyol take a point away today back up to Catalonia. Uh, Sevilla started the game off brightly and they seem to have overcome their inability to start games off quickly with uh, Lucas Ocampos heading home from a really nice cross from Usain and Suso in the 15th minute. 
Then after that, uh, on the half hour mark, we had a bit of VAR drama. Cayeri was brought down by Sergio Gomez just outside the box. The ref originally didn't give a foul. However, two minutes later, he pulled it back to VAR to check for a possible red card for Sergio Gomez for being last man. Sergio Gomez was not ruled to be last man, he was given a yellow card. But the referee did award Espanyol a free kick just outside the box, which he originally hadn't done. Um, Adrian Barba then slotted home really nicely underneath the wall to make it one each. And Sevilla did struggle in the last 15 minutes to really create anything to answer uh, before half-time. The referee was met by a barrage of whistles at half-time. The fans clearly not happy with the, the VAR decision. And then early second half, things went from bad to worse for Sevilla. Within five minutes, they found themselves 2-1 down. Um, Kairi involved again, laying off to Lou Wei, who slotted home nicely past, past Backlitch in the Sevilla goal. And Sevilla did start to come into the game slightly after this. They were huffing and puffing. It did seem like Espanyol were going to hold on. Um, they were defending resolutely. But again, new signing Suso showed his quality on 80 minutes, cut inside nicely. Had a, and I had a lovely drill shot into the bottom corner to make it two each. Now, this is a disappointing result for Sevilla. This is the third league game in a row without a win. They're now sitting fifth place outside the Champions League spots and have a hard, hard game away to Getafe, who are in some really good form next week. But, I mean, for me, the one positive they can take from this game is Suso, who I've mentioned a couple of times already, showed some really nice invention for the first goal, a lovely crossover to Ocampos, and again showed his quality to get the equaliser. Like I've said before, he's a player that I like the look of, and he's a player that I think can really make the difference for Sevilla. But they will be hoping for better next week against Hitafi in a huge, huge game for them. So Espanyol didn't lose and neither did any of the other two teams who currently join Espanyol in the relegation zone. Leganes hosted Real Betis on Sunday afternoon for a goalless draw that was as uneventful as a person watching a person watching a person watching paint dry. Perhaps the only exciting moment of that one was when Borja Iglesias got himself sent off with mere seconds to go for shoving a member of the Leganes coaching staff as they tried to take a throw in. Then the other team in the relegation zone right now is Real Mallorca but they got a vital three points this weekend as they won 1-0 at home to Alaves. Of course, our man on the island, Alex Fitzpatrick, was there at some mosh for this one and we speak to him now. Alex, I found this season that Real Mallorca rarely improve as a game goes on. When they have won matches, it's usually been because of a bright start, but in this game it was the opposite. They got better after a shaky start. Do you agree with that and can you explain why they got better? Yeah, I certainly agree. I think it was a very shaky start for Mallorca, Alaves bullying Mallorca a little bit really and why did it get better well it got better because of a couple of factors one was a little bit through luck for Vicente Moreno um, and unlucky for Lou Moore the left back so he went off with an injury uh, and in came Coutris who uh, Leonardo Coutris who's been signed on loan from Greece and he made his debut for the club and was absolutely terrific at left back he it's been a problem position this season for Mallorca and uh, trying to fill that gap that Pervis Estupinian's departure um, left and he played particularly well up and down the left-hand side, defensively incredibly solid, positionally very sound, excellent on the ball and he put the cross in for the goal eventually. So that was one reason. But the, the main reason really was 
because of the substitution that came just after half-time. So Alex Fabas had been playing just behind Ante Budimir. He'd been very ineffective, really. That position in the 4-2-3-1 is, is key, playing just behind the front man. The two deep-lying midfielders are, are finding uh, that player, Alex Fabas behind the front man. And it's down to him, really, and, and the players wide of him to create from that position. And that didn't happen at all in the first half for Mallorca. Take Kubo was uh, brought on for Alex Fabas. Take Kubo went wide and Danny Rodriguez um, playing out of position on the right-hand side, being brought into that position just behind the front man, Ante Budimir. And that made a hell of a difference. The energy that Danny Rodriguez brings and his quality on the ball and his link-up play, his ability to get in the box is so important for Mallorca and was in their promotion last year. And Take Kubo had one of his better days. He was... Uh, really up for it, really, um, really on the ball and creating from from the off. Really, he uh, he got into some great positions and he actually threaded it through um, for Danny Rodriguez for the goal that was eventually disallowed for Mallorca. They had a goal disallowed, so that made a, a huge, huge difference really in the game. And as I say, Kutris with his cross from the left back position which uh, Cucho Hernandez got the end, on the end of and then, and then got the, re, uh, the rebound as well. First Real Mallorca goal for Cucho. Besides this goal though, how important has his return from injury been for this side in general? He started really well for Mallorca and then really tailed away as you might expect. Fitness and, and he's not played a lot of football. This weekend he played in, uh, in a wide position in a 4-2-3-1. And that allowed him to get up and down, to pick up the ball in wide positions, to cut in. But then also when the ball was on the opposite side of the pitch, to come inside and get into the box um, with uh, Ante Budimir. And that's exactly what happened for the goal. The cross came in. He was in there. Terrific header. Brilliant save uh, by by the goalkeeper. And he was the first to react. Um, going forwards, if, if we can see that level of impact from him, that's going to be hugely important because I think up until now, he hasn't had a massive impact for Mallorca and they really need some players to have an impact, a stronger impact in the final third, creating chances and scoring goals. That is their biggest issue at the moment. Real Mallorca CEO Maheta Malango was fired last week. For some not up to date on all things Mallorca, this might seem strange as he oversaw two promotions in a row, but there was a lot more to it than that, right? Many Mallorca fans were actually happy that he was gone. Yeah, a lot of Mallorca fans particularly pleased and actually celebrating the departure of Mahetta Malongo. Um, you're right in saying that he presided over a period of time where there were the back-to-back promotions. But first impressions count for a lot and Mallorca fans remember uh, even more so the him presiding over the time where they were relegated to the Segunda Bay. Uh, and they've always felt that he is very much a businessman. Uh, of course, he's a CEO, he's going to be a businessman, but that he didn't have any kind of affection for the club. Um, and it was interesting, he, he kind of showed that a little bit with his remarks. He was he was asked some questions by IB3, the, the local television company here, as he drove out of San Mosh. Uh, last week after his after his departure and he wound his window down and just simply said business is business and Mallorca fans really feel that to him it has just been business and it hasn't been 
anything. Um, there's been no affection from him. There's no real link to the club. There's no seemingly any huge desire for the club to improve itself and to, to more more for him to make any link with the fans, really. Looking from the inside, though, this is a guy who was heavily involved, uh, travelled with the squad uh, on, the, on the flights to away games, stays in the team hotel, he's there all the time, he's in the dressing room, he has personal relationships, um, personal professional relationships with the players. So I think the view from the Mallorca fans on the outside and the view from his, of him from inside the club are particularly different. However, they do, Mallorca fans, lay a lot of the blame for the transfer dealings this season at his door. If he's going to take credit when things go well, he also needs to take criticism when things have gone badly, as they have, as we say, with the with the transfer dealings this season. So, um, yeah, a lot of pleasure from some Mallorca fans. I think some of it justified, some of it a little bit unfair, um, but his departure really will open a new chapter for the club as they start to plan for next season. Thanks Alex for the update there. So let's just have a quick recap of what's going on at the bottom. We've got Espanyol on 19 points in 20th, Leganes on 19 points in 19th, Real Mallorca on 21 points in 18th, and Celta Vigo just outside the relegation zone also on 21 points and in 17th. Now let's talk about some regional rivalries in the north. One of them was Athletic Club against Osasuna. So let's go to our Bass correspondent Dan Parry who was there at San Mames to see a bit of a shock result as Osasuna won 1-0. This was an especially huge win for Osasuna because when you consider the blow they recently suffered with the loss of Jimmy Avila, I think a lot of hope for the rest of the season disappeared but they're still fighting. Dan, how did they do it in this game? Basically, they made their chances pay. I think Athletic had twice the amount of shots on goal or at least twice the amount of shots that Osasuna did but... Um, they had bad luck, bad finishing. Osasuna had a couple of chances and Captain Oyed managed to put one away after quite a, a well-worked set-piece routine. And yeah, they, they took their chances and Athletic didn't. It's now nine La Liga matches without a win for Athletic Club. What's going on? Yeah, it's a very tough time for Athletic in the league right now. They just... its It's been an ongoing problem all season. We've spoken about it before. They struggle in attack. Their, their attacking play is extremely laboured. It's really hard for them to make chances, especially when they're missing Iker Muniain. He seems to be the only player, maybe him and Ibai Gomez, are the only players who can sort of create something from nothing. They're those sort of players who are good in tight spaces. Um, it seems to be that the go-to thing for Athletic this season has been, if we can't create a chance, let's just put it out wide put as many crosses into the box as possible and see if that works and hopefully we'll get a goal. And sometimes it works like we saw against Barcelona at the beginning of the season. It worked like we saw against Barcelona in the Copa del Rey. It worked. But some more often than not, it doesn't work at all. Um, it might work when you've got a player like Adric Adoriz, like world-class in the box, world-class target man sort of striker. But when you're playing with Iñaki Williams up front, I don't think it's the sort of way that we should be playing. We should be playing more to Iñaki's Yankee strengths. Youngster Unai Vencedor made his debut for Athletic. A disappointing result for his debut, but Dan, what did you make of his individual performance? I've been watching Unai Vencedor quite closely this season because a lot of people have been speaking about him within the club and I've seen him play maybe three or four times already for, for, the, uh, for the B side, for the reserve side, and he looks to be quite a good player. However, he didn't have the greatest of debuts. I think 
he didn't get off to a good start. The fact he got a yellow card, I, I didn't really see what it was for. But apparently, I was told it was because he took the free kick too quickly. Um, and I think that put him under a lot of pressure, especially because of the position he was playing in as a defensive midfielder. Then he was scared, uh, a bit scared to make challenges. And I think he couldn't really cope with the pressure, especially in the first half. He was better when he came out in the second half, I thought. Um, had a few nice touches. Was unlucky not to score, I think, with the free kick that hit the crossbar. Not the greatest debut, but I think he'll, I think he'll come good. Now, we were also supposed to have a derby between Eibar and Real Sofidad in the Basque Country this weekend. Can you explain why that was postponed? So this is quite a strange one, but basically a tip in a town called Thaudibar, which is just east of, uh, just west, sorry, of Eibar, has set on fire. And there's been an ongoing fire, I think, for the past three or four days, perhaps, maybe longer. And obviously it's created a very toxic smog, which has... Um, been blown into Eibar, the city of Eibar itself, and the the authorities decided that the match shouldn't be played basically on, on the day of the game because the air was too dangerous and uh, it was too toxic. Thanks Dan, so we've discussed eight and well, eight and a half matches so far, there's one more to get to and it might be the one with the most drama. Granada hosted Real Valladolid on Saturday night and went behind to a really smart Sergio Guardiola goal, but Granada ditched the back three system they were using, went to back four and pulled off a comeback. Antonio Puertas got the equaliser with 10 minutes left and then, in the sixth minute of stoppage time, this happened. That there was the sound of Carlos Fernandez scoring the winner. If there's a place where they dream, it's in Los Carmenes, the commentator was screaming. And it's true, they're dreaming in Granada, they really are. And we'll leave it on that because that's all we have time for in this week's episode. My thanks go out to Roman de Arcaire, Paco Pollitt, Gregor Chappelle, Alex Fitzpatrick and Dan Parry for their contributions. I've been your host, Jim McTeer. And I thank you very much for listening.